0: The Transfer Window is part of the Daily Record Podcast Network. Subscribe at iTunes or Audio Boom. Good day.
1: Welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast where we open the boardroom doors and agents' wallets to get you inside the deals happening as we speak. And as we near the crescendo of deadline day, we'll discuss whether Felipe Coutinho will get his dream move to Barcelona and if the little lamb will be replaced by an ox at Anfield. From one saga to another, and a haggling over Alexis Sanchez as Arsenal reject £50 million sterling and Ryan Sterling rejects a move to the Gunners. We'll ask if champions Chelsea are about to snub champagne for drink water, but Roy Keane adds his own little summer of insane spending add-ons with his uh, take on what the fees have been like over the course of this window. I'm Ian McGarry, and joining me are best-selling author, Spanish football mister, and all-round changing man, Graham Hunter. And I'm also delighted to welcome transfer podcast dealmeister, top journalist and sand dancer, Mr Duncan Castles. Let's go on with the business, chaps. And uh, straight to the Felipe Coutinho saga on more ongoing and more long than noggin the nog. However, I think, Duncan, you feel like we may well have a, well, conclusion of sorts in sight with regards to Liverpool's transfer dealings in the other direction.
2: Yes, like the... the... What Philip Coutinho has been told is that there is deal is in place, agreement is in place between Barcelona and Liverpool for him to join Barcelona. The fee will be a total potential total of 160 million euros. Um, Some of that performance related variables. So FSG have got the price that they asked for several weeks ago in in negotiations that they kept secret. and the hold-off is to allow Liverpool time to sign replacements for Coutinho and put other guys into the team, which we've seen started happening. They made the, the deal for Naby Keita, albeit that won't end until a year's time. Um, they have made an offer for Thomas Lamar at Monaco. And they're also in negotiations to try and sign Oxley chamberlain um, from Arsenal. Uh, who I understand would be an alternative to Lamar, rather than as an addition to Lamar.
1: So it's one or the other, then Duncan.
2: One or the other is is my understanding for that uh, to to replace Coutinho.
1: Now, on that that same sort of situation regarding where those players might fit into the Liverpool team, it seems to me that. Um, Lamar, obviously, is a winger and has played there. And Coutinho has played left and right and in the number ten position. Um, whereas, opposite Chamberlain, as we've seen, has rather disastrously started as a right wing back at Arsenal. But my information is that he wants to play central midfield. So, how would that work out then?
2: Look, I think um, I think they they want flexible players. I think if you look at the way Klopp set his his team up in the in the time he's been at. Anfield, he, he does tend to move them around the pitch. Coutinho himself played, has been played you know, primarily as a left winger, but also as a number 10. And um, In this pre-season, they used him more in a kind of linked midfield role on the left-hand side, and, and I talked about that being the way they were going to use him through the season. So, Oxley chamberlain offers you that flexibility. You know, he's played, as you say, he's played fullback for Arsenal... In the, in the middle of midfield and he's played on, on the wing. And I think you could even use him. He's, he's also played as a striker on occasion. So you can see why Liverpool are interested in the player, apart from apart from anything else. He's English, which is always an advantage in, uh, in the Premier League transfer market and you get another homegrown player in your squad. And he would be a lot cheaper than Lamar because uh, Lamar, um, Monaco's asking price, when... Uh, Manchester United were interested in the player when Arsenal were interested in the player with 60 million euros. That interest remains from Manchester United, but now they've got Liverpool on the hook and of making offers. Um, the price is going to go up beyond that level um, in a sort of classic Monaco you want one of our players, we're going we're to squeeze the maximum amount of money out of you, which they've done yeah. better than any team has ever done in the history of football this summer.
1: And Graham, we've heard in the last 24 hours that Barcelona have been quite open in saying they expect to send one or two players before the deadline.
0: Um, are you as certain as Duncan that Coutinho will be one of those players? I'm trying to, I'll tell you what I'm certain of. I'm certain you're not Henry McRae. And in this market where, <laughs> where, where people disappear from one situation to another, I, I want to know that Henry's safe. He is not necessarily where he is, but just that he's safe emotionally okay. and physically. <clears throat> okay, I can I
1: can reveal that he's in a black-sight butterfly park somewhere in the Indian Ocean um, and checking
0: out chaos theory. That's only got me. More, <laughs> that's only got me more worried. Um, I hear you boys. It may be my bad ears, but I hear you boys talking about FSG and from Barcelona's point of view, this is far more FFS. Um, I'll come back to that. I'm also hearing. I'm really pleased about this whole Coutinho thing that it's Lamal who, who holds the key to it in this never ending story. <laughs> <Hey>. um, so, <laughs> so, eyes on the prize. Um, number one, um, what's absolutely clear is that um, L- Duncan, Liverpool, and Coutinho are surer and clearer on this deal than Barcelona are because, number one, because they have basically proven themselves to be at this level. If not inept, then third rate fourth rate players in what is an increasingly it's not simply expensive and bizarre but byzantine and um really threatening difficult transfer market um if you are slow if you're underinformed if you've got an insufficient budget, if you've got a flexible credit line if you've got an insufficient um, Machiavellian contacts in the world of intermediaries, never mind player representatives. Then you're lost, and that's what Barcelona are represented as. And and I mention that because they they may, I think they are less clear on the idea that Coutinho can go for 160 than than they should be. I think they are worried that this may not happen, that the clause that Liverpool... Not only a Liverpool right to insist on time to buy another player, even though the market is closing, it worries me hugely as an objective observer that Coutinho gets his way. Um, he hasn't been particularly anarchic. He's refused to play. Klopp has given him space to come back by not condemning him. The fans haven't been on his back. Other players will be looking at Coutinho's behaviour if he's eventually allowed to move, even for a huge profit. In terms of the the bank balance, or in terms of the trading accounts of Liverpool, you can see the value. But where do they buy another Coutinho, age twenty five? Can they get the right player at this short notice? And Lamar is somebody who clearly is is at the centre of this story because Liverpool would like him, and for that they've offered cash plus Divock Origi to try and say to Monaco. Um, you continue your summer of making extraordinary profits in the back of your last three um, football directors. Each of them have been involved in, in uh, either stocking these players who have been sold Bernardo Silva and Mbappe and Bacayoko and so on, or, or restocking Monaco. And therefore the club is, the owner is doing brilliantly at the work of the last three football directors at Monaco. And the idea of Origi plus cash, I, I don't know whether Monaco are going to accept that. and find it's good. But I go back to my point about Barcelona. In their state of uncertainty, that Liverpool will be able to get the player they need in order to activate that promise to Coutinho. So, uh, given you know Duncan's ability and his record as someone, there's no question in my mind that that's rock-solid info. But what is in doubt is that Liverpool clearly have the... Ability to say, well, i sorry, your price might be right, but we didn't get our man, and therefore he's not coming. And right now, Barcelona are looking at whether they can suddenly go back to Dybala, which will be a no from Juventus, or go for Lamar. And the two that they think they can get, the two that they want, is obviously Coutinho and Di Maria. And Di Maria, for me, again, from an objective point of view, having him back in La Liga, were that to happen, and I'm assured, and I believe that he wants to go. One, he wants to go back to Spain. Two, he looks at the way in which that squad is developed and looks at the amount of game time he's likely to get, which is decreased. And he wants to go to Barcelona, which in itself is utterly extraordinary. It's not quite uh, Mo Johnson signing for both Celtic and Rangers in, in, at the height of his career, but it's pretty damn close to it. It's close and to Luis watch... Figo, isn't it? Pardon me? Close to Luis
1: Figo leaving Barcelona well, for Real Madrid.
0: Well, it's, what, what it is is... is a player who whenever he was fighting against um Barcelona for Madrid or against Paris Saint-Germain was the type who would celebrate a goal by going to the Barça fans and giving them the, the you know the Bufanda. Yeah. You know, and you I like you both know me. I I I'm perfectly happy with a player of talent and ability in a winning situation to do that. That's great. That the football authorities don't like it, but for me that adds colour and passion. And, and aggression and, and you're allowed to celebrate your victory in my book but then to then for Barcelona to target him and Ceballos who's gone now he's gone to Real Madrid but they tried to beat Madrid for Ceballos for a guy who used social media to say that when he heard the, the Basque Athletic Bilbao fans and Barcelona fans whistling the national anthem during a cup final on social media he said oh, the best remedy is to drop a bomb on all of them <coughs> and, he, and, he, and he called out PK on social media Ceballos slagging him off to hell they tried to sign him you, what was the idea? You need to. You both know. You're both experts in saying you don't just weigh up a player's ability and his cost. You play. Up, you 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 sort out his character, his attitude, and we'll come on to another one. I think um, Aurier later on. But so right now, given that both Di Maria and Coutinho can play left or right, Di Maria played brilliant. Although he's predominantly left-footed, he played brilliantly on right midfield, not right. High up uh, because Bale relegated into right midfield, and they they were sensational when the European Cup with Dembele at right midfield. Predominantly, you would imagine him um, working from the left um, behind DiBala, or if DiBala doesn't play every game this, uh, pardon me, uh, Dembele. If the, Dembele doesn't play every game this season, or is injured or suspended, but he can play on the right. Coutinho plays predominantly left for Liverpool, but has played significant numbers of games on the right of midfield for Brazil. you can see the footballing decisions, but one, tight as anything. Two, they're left chewing the nails and scratching about for alternatives in case Liverpool finally and legitimately say, well, we ain't making the deal. And they're looking for a player who, at a time when the fans booed the president this week as he presented Dembele, the fans' reception at the camp for Di Maria is something I'd pay to watch. Even though I admit now, and you can both throw this back at me, I'd pay to watch Di Maria almost anywhere. He didn't set things alight at Old Trafford, but he is a gorgeous footballer. And when his when his brain is engaged, hard working, hard tackling, athletic midfielder.
1: Well, that's certainly yeah, I, look. I,
0: I... I I would certainly put money on Dee Maria to do better,
1: keep you up here than uh, Usman Dembele (laughs) managed. Um, But Duncan, I did want to ask you, you're in the enviable position of having a 100% strike rate of uh, transfers out of Monaco this summer. Um, With Lamar, obviously we have interest from Liverpool, interest from Manchester United. We're discounting Arsenal, as I think we talked about in our last transfer window podcast. Who would your money be on, uh, Manchester United or Liverpool, to gain that player's signature?
2: Well, look, I just want to say about Di Maria first that I give Barcelona a bit of credit on this. That is a deal that's been on an, on the in, in the band for quite some months now. It's something that Di Maria's representatives have been aware of as a possible out for him. It's also a club he almost moved to before he came to England. There was interest from Barcelona at a time when he was at Real Madrid. So... He is a, is a player they've, they've valued for a long time. And I agree completely with Graham. I think he's a fantastic footballer, very flexible. You that ability to play on the wing and uh, further back in the midfield. In many ways, he's a much better option than Philippe Coutinho. And, and certainly at the price they'd be looking at because PSG are trying to move the player out.
0: Yeah, the price is great, Duncan. The price is absolutely spot on. Yeah, I agree. What yeah. is that price then, like, guys? You're talking, you're talking, I would say at a maximum 30, maybe lower. Unbelievable for a player who joined
1: Manchester United for fifty two point four, and then moved for a similar fee.
2: It was more. It was more than. It was more than Man United deal was one of those ones where they they announced the initial fee, but and, and sort of missed out all the add-ons involved. It was up around seventy five. Was 75. it unbelievable? So go, So
1: that so that was one of the five highest.
2: At the Absolutely. time, that was one of the five highest deals in, 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 in football history, which shows us where we are this summer when we're talking exactly. about. So, on, <laughs> so on,
1: um, Duncan, Duncan, give us your opinion on whether you think Lamar will end up at Liverpool, Manchester United, or stay at Monaco.
2: Look, okay, I uh, talked to my Monaco contact yesterday. He said that he will not be at all surprised if the owner cashes in on Lamar at that money. Um, says the, the owner thinks feels he's on a great thing this summer the market values players ex- extremely high and is very confident that he can replace them with other guys use this similar kind of strategy to they've been using of, of bringing players in at reasonable prices, giving them high wages because they've got the tax advantages, relatively high wages but at a lower cost to the club and then selling them down the line to to um, other European sides. So he, he sees the owner going for that deal, regardless of what they've been saying about we're not going to sell any more players. And said that they wouldn't sell Mbappe time and time again, and, and Mbappe's gone. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they sell if they get the right money. Oxley Chamberlain is is the. Uh, Fly in the ointment. If Liverpool get that Oxley Chamberlain deal through, I'm not, not convinced that they'll, they'll continue with Lamar at, at the price that Monaco are asking at the moment. As for Man- Arsenal out, they, they won't go there. Um, as for Manchester United, I had a chat with a uh, Manchester United contact this morning. He does not expect them to make additions, although Jose would still like left-back or the winger, Lamar being one of the guys he, he wants to. They don't expect players to come in at this stage. And also, interestingly, don't expect players to go out. So, Andres Pereira is being chased by Valencia. Mourinho wants to keep him in the squad. He sees him as a as a, a kind of a free hit because he's, as, he's exactly 21 years old on the qualifying day for under 21 players. So, that allows him a free player in his uh, Champions League and Premier League squad. And a guy who's capable of playing multiple positions um, and and physically quite big, as well as being...
0: You you caught my attention there a lot, Duncan, because um, you're spot on that Valencia want him. And and without them in any way bragging that they're going to get him, I think there had been, until this week, a feeling that that Mourinho was persuadable. Are are you saying that, that there's no way that that can happen at the last minute for Valencia? Not
2: saying it can't happen, but what I'll tell you is um, we did a story in the record, I think, three, four weeks ago when Pereira was getting a lot of game time on the pre-season tour and that, and that was that he would be part of the squad, definite part of the squad for the reasons I've outlined. Um, checked again this uh, past few days after the story about Valencia came out and was told again, no, he stays. So it would, for me, that would have to be either... They they get a player in, and they need to move one out. But yeah. even then, it doesn't make yeah. sense because yeah. he he's the free hit, uh, or um, the player he let me go. And from what I understand, Which the player I doesn't no, I
0: agree with you. no, no, no. His target is United personally as, as as a footballer. If he gets the chance in the back, and Mourinho, I agree with you. That's okay. That that's interesting. That helps move on the Valencia side of the story a lot. So.
1: You've heard of your first Manchester United fans that don't expect any comings or goings in the next twenty-four hours before deadline day stops. Um, I've just been busy texting Luke Shaw, both the smiley face and the non-smiley face uh, <laughs> after that information. Uh, I'm not sure where that leaves him, to be quite honest. But let's move our attention now, boys, to Arsenal, who are the um, part of the crisis club in England right now. Um, a heavy loss to Liverpool last Sunday, four 0 um, to a partner, a team who can't defend against a team who, well, can't defend either. And uh, we have the um, situation ongoing of Alexis Sanchez, one year left in his contract, a player who clearly wants to leave Arsenal, and Manchester City are the club who want him most and who've made a £50 million bid, which has been rejected um, <clears throat> by Arsenal. Then a uh, move was made to offer Rhyme Sterling plus... £50 million, which we're told Ryan Sterling has turned down as he doesn't want to leave the Etihad. Graham, you've known Alexis Sanchez for quite some time, given his time in Barcelona, and um, obviously
0: Pep's uh, stewardship at Manchester City now. Where do you see this one going? The way to turned that on its head is that um, this week, the briefing that I had was that um, Guardiola and the people who work on the signings at City um, remain confident that they can do this, confident that... Um, And it's clear now, I think, that the player wants to come. Confident that they have the resources and holding the nerve. And this might be where their mistake comes in. Holding the nerve that they can negotiate, that they can brinksmanship this right up to the deadline, the last um, hours of the deadline. And from my way of thinking about this, it it touches again on um, what we talked about, Coutinho and the way that Dembele managed to get his move. It's been clear up to now, or it's been clear to me, um, that there's been precious little wrong with Alexis Sanchez while well, he hasn't been playing. It's been clear to me that Arsenal have been adop- adopting a, a position similar to Klopp's with Coutinho, which is we're in, um, as far as the players and their agents are concerned, this is very much a seller's market. They are dominant, they are powerful. And if we decide to go against them and force them to stay, or Force them to stay or force them to respect their existing contracts, then there needs to be a position whereby we're not left with a, a useless asset rattling around for the next four or five months until the next market. And therefore, it was noticeable that Clock kept um, avoiding um, calling out Coutinho's behaviour. Yeah. Liverpool fans will be furious to see him that his back injury was stress related and that he's training right as rain with Brazil and will, will play in the World Cup qualifiers. And in my point of view, Alexis' behaviour has been identical. It's been a mild form of working to rule. And what the buying clubs, what City would prefer, I think, what buying clubs want is the players to make it untenable for their current clubs to keep them. And I don't think um, Coutinho or Alexis have done that. Bella did by simply going on strike. And that guaranteed that that move was going to happen at a huge profit um, for uh, Borussia Dortmund and indeed for Ren who get more in the, in the sell-on clause than they did from the original sale to to Borussia Dortmund and therefore it's my opinion that this one probably should go down to the wire um, in that it's, it's a referendum on Arsene Wenger and in saying he, that he though Graeme we will we, we, we'll, we'll be willing to run your contract right down and if, it, if it's suddenly sold now it's yet one more piece of the carpet tugged out from underneath a beleaguered manager and
1: indeed it is, but
0: surely if you're Arsene
1: Wenger and you're sitting there in your bunker, which you constantly frequents these days, um, and you're thinking, I'm going to lose probably, my well, not no, without doubt, my best player, 30 goals and 15 assists in all games last season for Arsenal. Incredible return, that is. Um, and possibly also Chamberlain, who you know, is not obviously on that same level as Sanchez. Sure, you don't sell without
0: having a plan to get someone in. Well, you'd say that that would be common logic, but if you look at the way Arsenal have conducted themselves in the transfer market for the longest time now, you, you, the first answer would be presumably Lacazette, who, in theory, their ideal is that he's going to give them that kind of input. But secondly, calls. they're not very, they're not, they're not very, they're not very good in the market, not in terms of clinical decisions, speed of movement, being persuasive. They've undermined themselves by not qualifying for the Champions League. We, we, all three of us know there are a host of reasons that exist today, that have their seeds, that have their tributaries in the performances, the attitude, the the disharmony of four, five, six years. And again, we all know that you reap what you sow and they're in this position, not because they've suddenly become a little bit indecisive or not, not as visionary or not as modern as other clubs. It's been coming for a long time. But if you if you turn this round, the, the value to Manchester City, to, to finding a way, any way, to make this deal happen is that potentially, it's a title-winning decision because I, I don't Duncan and I were on a couple of weeks ago when you were preparing to kidnap Henry, and um, I think we agreed that whichever of the two Manchester United Manchester clubs uh, finished higher will be champion this season. I stick to that completely, and the the fury that you see repeatedly, lots of last season and this season already from Pep Guardiola during games and after games is that cutting edge. That ability to turn domination into a win before the 97th minute, if possible, and therefore Alexis, for <coughs> so his harrying, his athleticism, his his pressing, his chasing, his ability to teach, um, particularly Gabriel Jesus, things that oh. he needs to learn quickly, it's an invaluable signing of City could pull it off. And therefore, I, I unless you and when you go deal or no deal, I suppose I'll have to commit. But I. I I find it one of the hardest ones to understand whether it will or won't happen because there's so much to win. There's almost equilibrium how much there is to win on City side and how much there is to lose on Arsenal side. That's very true. Uh, Duncan, call me
1: old-fashioned, but please don't. Um, Sanchez, one of the things I like to ask myself when transfers are being proposed, <clears throat> and I think this is something which, generally speaking, uh, is not very modern and fashionable these days, is where the hell does Alexis Sanchez fit in to a Manchester City team that is overburdened with attacking midfielders who have shown themselves to both be talented, uh, able to score and create indeed. So is Sanchez first choice or is he an augmentation?
2: His first choice. Um, I think Graham brings up a very, very solid point there, talking about it could be a title-winning decision. And and there's an obvious parallel to when Sir Alex Ferguson took Robin van Persie from Arsenal ahead of his final season. To win the title, and you know who did he steal him from in that in that summer? It was Manchester City. Manchester City had a deal in place, a uh, uh, salary agreed with the player long in long in advance, and um, didn't actually complete the deal with Arsenal, allowing Ferguson to come in, um, match or better the salary and take the player and win the title. Yeah. So, so you are potentially looking at a similar situation, and where does he fit in? Pep Guardiola does not like Sergio Aguero. Pep Guardiola does not rate Sergio Aguero. He wants him out of the team. He thinks he's wasteful in front of goal. He um, thinks he doesn't contribute to the tactical system he wants. So that's your, you know, that's your swap. He takes Aguero's place in the team. He can also play a range of other front-line positions if you want to combine them too. But they're, they're, they're actually short strikers if you look at it. Um, for all the attacking talent they've got, pure strikers, they have Aguero and Gabriel Jesus, um, so you need another, even even if they keep Aguero, you need another one in, yeah. in a squad of that type. Now, the interesting dynamic around the transfer that I saw yesterday is the suggestion that Arsenal might want Aguero in exchange, which I think is something that Guardiola would be prepared to accept, but I don't know if it's something Manchester City would be prepared to accept. Um, for the PR point of view of letting a player who's still hugely popular with their fans go to another Premier League club. And this dynamic about Raheem Sterling. So we were told initially that that Manchester City had offered Sterling as part of the deal. City deny that, say it wasn't them offering Sterling. It appears to me, and um, the agent was definitely involved in the briefings yesterday, that this idea actually came from Sterling's camp. That, and we're looking at, let's remember, a guy, Eddie Ward, who who um, used the, pretty much the full range of Machiavellian agent techniques to get Raheem Sterling out of Liverpool a couple of years back and get him a big salary at Manchester City. So I'm wondering I'm wondering whether um, Arsenal, if they want Raheem Sterling, could not manage to get that into the deal. Because Raheem Sterling, if you remember at the time when he was about to leave Liverpool, there's a lot of talk of him going south to London, to be closer to his family. Um, There's potential there to upgrade the salary I was going um, to say, Duncan, I
1: I would have thought, given that we know that Arsenal, uh, in general, and we have to point out here that the deals offered to Sanchez and Ozil um, this summer have been in excess of £250,000 a week. So, unlike Tottenham, they don't have that same transfer glass ceiling, uh, sorry, salary glass ceiling. But... To all intents and purposes, um, Ryan Sterling's wages are around £200,000 per week plus bonuses at City. Would Arsenal be prepared to pay that money, well, improve that money indeed, because you know that's something which a player expects when he moves?
2: I, 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 your information might be different. I don't think his salary is that high at City. Okay, I remember he came from a relatively low salary at Liverpool to move to um, Manchester City at the time. So I think he's... I think he's on around a hundred thousand a week plus bonuses, which lifts well, them looked to up into uh, current Premier League star player standard wages. Indeed.
1: Well, even discounting that, um, Graham, um, the fact of the matter is that uh, we are told that Sterling has since uh, withdrawn his willingness to move uh, to to Arsenal. Is this a, a bluff or red herring? Is this something to do with the negotiations and the personal terms?
0: No, I have to be honest and say that I can't answer that. I don't know the answer to that. What I, what I look at, and I look at the the way that um, Sterling has, in my mind, matured and advanced to a degree at City under Pep Guardiola, um, far from complete in that maturity, that advancement, but he's very popular. He can be a game opener. He's seen off Melito. He's seen off um, Navas. I think that if if both of you know the player and the agent better than me, but if tactical intelligence about what to do comes into it, um, you would look at Manchester City and imagine that if, if the Alexis deal goes through, then the competition for... I like the separation you made, Duncan, about between creative attacking players and strikers, and it's exactly the point that I was trying to make about Alexis's value. So therefore, we all agree that that there's a... Across the front, four or five, and depending on who the holding player midfield is for City's sake, hopefully Gundogan. Then there's extraordinary competition for places, and I don't I don't know um, Raheem Sterling well enough to judge whether he'll that will freshen his appetite and say, "Great, bring it on! I'm aggressive, I'm competitive, I'm self-confident," or whether he will look at the idea of um, having been part of that deal, then as long as he's fitting in form an almost guaranteed place at Arsenal, um strikers like Lacazette or Giroud to, to feed. Bottom line, I think that a player who who can't stand the heat and wants to get out of the kitchen says, Yeah, I'll take the Arsenal deal. A player who is who wants to shine, who wants to learn, um, who is willing to compete and willing to say at his age, if this is a season where I get um twenty five starts in thirty five games but I win a trophy and I learn, then I'll stay and I'll fight and I'll compete. Then, then that's what I'd like to see at Sterling. But I, I, I'm not well enough versed to predict what he will do.
1: I, was say,
0: I, think, I think I think that's one we we need to monitor closely.
1: <clears throat> Excuse me, over the next uh, few well, few hours I guess we've got left until uh, transfer window closes. I'd like to move the conversation from one London team who is um, perhaps drowning in this transfer window, not waving to one which is waving but waving with some huge intent. Uh, and that is Chelsea, who this morning have had a £23 million bid rejected by Leicester City for Danny Drinkwater. Um, I can't help but ask myself, if I'm a Chelsea fan, uh, which I'm not, uh, I'd say to uh, myself, why do we sell the Manu Matic to Manchester United and now why are we buying Danny Drinkwater? Is this the kind of upgrade that we thought we'd see? Duncan, you, you, what do you think about this, the Drinkwater water deal?
2: I, th- I think there's no way you can even describe it as an equivalent uh, player coming in. Um, it's classic Chelsea cash in, cash in on a player that another side wants, and then spend less money to to bring the re- replacement in. Um, Is not he's not the player Antonio Conte wants as the second midfielder. I mean, Ant- Antonio Conte's position on centre midfield was. I will accept Nemanja Matic being sold, but you have to bring me two replacements in. One Bakayoko, which he liked and got, and then another additional player of, of, of equivalent quality. And on top of that, he didn't want Matic sent to, sold to a Premier League rival. So they've um, they've allowed a key player or an important player to go to a rival where he's become a key player and will be for the season, and they're not going to provide him with the replacement he wants, which is pretty much what they're doing across the entirety of the team.
1: Graham, I am intrigued by this because it does seem like a case of, you know, we, we must remember Jose Munoz's famous um, transfer outburst, which ev- effectively got in the sack at Chelsea uh, and the first time he was there, which was, if you want to make a great on you don't, buy regs at Waitrose and and not at Trotter's independent trading company or something like that. And um, it does seem to me that Antonio Conte is getting the rough end of the stick here with regards to where the club are trading above him, above his uh, authority and
0: effectively furnishing with players who do not match up to the standard that they're selling. Well, if we're talking about international class, combative, athletic, aggressive, goal-scoring, trophy-winning midfielders, then that's Conte um, in his previous persona. Yes. And he's matched everything that you, all the adjectives you use to describe him as a footballer. You could duplicate in terms of his ability on the training ground, his ability man to man. In that the, the times when he has had a disconnect with a footballer or fallen out with a footballer are vastly dwarfed by the number of times he's taken a cattle prod to their attitude or their concentration or their ability to deliver. And we all know, and I hope that people listen to the the podcast understand that we're talking about far beyond his time at Chelsea. He was revolutionary at Juventus in transforming them from a team that was still wobbly on promotion into a winning machine. He galvanised... An Italy side which was at the lower end of, of the pendulum swing between their ultimate talents of 2006 and winning the World Cup. And a competitive side that he took lesser a lesser group and made it aggressive and competitive. And then he's an instant success at Chelsea. And therefore, my opinion is, without being in any way derogatory, because people who own clubs, people who, who work in responsible positions even if they have a high salary like director of football are allowed to make their own decisions i don't um in any way undermine them for for saying we want to sell match and take a profit i disagree with it i agree with your uh, both of your interpretations of it but my my criticism is if they want to undermine conte they should just get about sacking him or saying goodbye or paying him off to to take a talented manager and i think that even in the market where the that old um supply and demand you know if you if you reduce the supply the demand and the price goes up that old economic law has been ultimately proven in this um transfer market for footballers i think that if you look around now and i am extrapolating from what you and Duncan were saying if you look around now and imagine that maybe by the close of the market chelsea are unhappy with conti for whatever reasons and conti is even more unhappy with chelsea and it disintegrates or so they don't last till Christmas. You look around and you ask yourself sternly, where is there, you know, you did the Mattis drink water comparison, where is there a manager available and ready and young and full of vigor that's Conti's equivalent? And I'd be doubtful that that's easy to get. And therefore, death by a thousand cuts for a man who in theory should have been giving you three or four more vibrant, successful, interesting, attractive, and probably trophy winning years that death by a thousand cuts is, is makes no sense to me whatsoever. I think that one of the values we can give in this podcast is to differentiate what we're talking about. And first of all, Duncan's um, phrase that you, you can't and shouldn't compare Matich and drink water is fine. I agree. But I think we all need. Well, I, I am going to say that I'd like and value drink water as, as a fighter, as a leader, as an organiser. He may be his style and his abilities may be from what is beginning to feel like a bygone day in in British midfields but I think that he has a great deal to offer in general and I like him very much as a component of a team that is going to be very hard to beat and even if his passing is not as interesting or as threatening as Matic I think that he makes a large percentage of the right types of passes simply he's in an unwinnable situation if we're left here saying would you keep Matic, keep <clears throat> the coach happy, and not have to buy Danny Drinkwater? Then our answer would probably be, yeah, you, that's what you do. Whether Danny Drinkwater comes to Chelsea and settles in and helps them retain the title or not, I'm not so sure. Whether it's supposed to be to some degree a helping hand to guide Bakicho through his early stages in the midfield at Chelsea, whether it's reuniting him with the, you know the player that alongside him. Won the title with Leicester, and, and it's more important for Chelsea to play well domestically yeah. than it is to think about their European ambitions. These are questions that only Chelsea can answer. Now, I, I don't think you could both talk for yourselves. I don't think either of you were, were being derogatory about drink water, but I see his value. But I would be in accordance with both of your views that to, to keep Matich and, and not sell him to a rival who I've already said I think is more likely to win the title than Chelsea are. Seems to me beyond bizarre. And if Conte is the is the, is the the fruit that falls from the tree because of all this, <clears throat> raspberry to Chelsea. It's a very good point um, in terms of
1: Conte, obviously. And, you know, before we receive any complaints from any large year-to-form Barcelona Spurs striker, we should point out that Danny Drinkwater has as many Premier League champions winning medals as Nemanja Matic does. Um, <laughs> I would also like to move us swiftly from London, though, back <clears throat> up to the northwest where Everton, who've had a well, people would say a very successful window and indeed a good start to the season, very encouraging under Ronald Koeman. Um, their hunt for a striker, Duncan, um, we obviously don't think they're done in their spending. Um, uh, we also uh, know that they've made a bid for a very talented uh, young midfielder, but not a second striker, as aware were, Nikola Klasic from uh, Hayek split. But you um, understand that they've got a fairly large pot of money uh, put aside, to make a bid in the next thirty-six
2: hours for a striker. Yeah, this is one of the um, comedy scenarios of the current transfer market of the, the sort of the, the riches of the Premier League and the and um, not having a very sensible strategy about recruitment. Everton are in a position where they have forty million pounds to spend on a striker. They want one in the last two days of the window and they have very, very little clue about who that striker will be. So a friend of mine um, who helps people, source players um, for a number of clubs, of course, content, received five calls yesterday from separate agents, all saying the same thing. Everton have got money, they need a striker, can you come up with a name for us? <laughs> that similar conversation is going around Europe at the moment. And in, a, in an attempt to, pro, to cash in, uh, as you know, the people who work as intermediaries do, on this pool of, of money that Everton are prepared to spend on a key position um, with less than 48 hours left now in the, in the transfer window. Um, chances of them getting a, a solid, um, high-quality replacement for, for, as we know, the hardest position in football to recruit for. Top quality centre forward, with that, that kind of pre-planning and strategy, not very high.
1: Well, Duncan, um, just to make this personal, you know, you've got my phone number, you can pass it on. Uh, 32 <laughs> goals in the last 36 games, <coughs> I'd certainly accept the wages, um, albeit those last 36 games were probably 20 years ago. Um, what were you, uh, Graham? You, you must... There must be someone out there in the European horizon who could fit into Everton's plans for that amount of money, surely.
0: Yeah, maybe there is. Um, But at this stage of the transfer market, if I had the name, I'd be phoning Everton direct and uh, saying to them, (laughs) you know, I'd like like a season ticket in the main stand for the next five years. Thank you very much indeed. I think that um, it it surprises me because... um, in, in augmenting their signing ability taking Leicester's sporting director who's a planned and methodical man uh, to goodison um, it, it surprises me that they're they're left thrashing around and to, it, to get the right guy at this short notice would be very hard indeed unless I don't know unless they could persuade Roman van Persie to come back from Turkish Turkish football where he'd been playing well enough to get a recall from for the Holland squad I I, I Strikes me that when a club has had a decent market and it, and looks like it's building the ability to plan and to have great contacts and to anticipate trends and anticipate other clubs, to be left thrashing around at the end of the market is a big surprise and a big disappointment.
1: It also puts some kind of question mark surely over Wayne Winnie, given that that was you know that's their biggest earner now uh, ever and. and you know all
0: the romantic. Uh, presumably, it's presumably, if it's about if I caught what Duncan was saying uh, correctly, the line jumped a little bit. Then if it's about uh, an out out number nine, then presumably, if there are doubts, it's about poor old Sandro, um, who yes. from Malaga last season um, was, was blossoming and was a leader and with responsibility put on his shoulders. Although I think his goal return in total between all competitions was only about sixteen or seventeen. It, uh, undoubtedly, he was a guy who. He played in a style that reminded me of um, Paul Dick, of John Spencer. Um, same height, same dynamics, aggressive, quick, um, very much happy to play against bigger defenders or bigger clubs. And it, it was it was my anticipation that he they have to give him time because that was his breakout season, um, having uh, tried very hard to find a place across a front tree because he was played wide as well at Barcelona. And at it it was the first point of of a a showing of leadership, of of learning, Um, his ability, I don't think he's in doubt, but whether given his size, given the fact that he's learning a new language, a new football culture, and he's into a team which is being restructured, to expect Sandra to have convinced by now, or even potentially by November, December, I think is asking a great deal. And therefore, again, I go back to my point that if they haven't seen that, if they haven't anticipated that until now, then I'm a little bit confused, given the fact that I have respect for their recruitment at Everton.
2: Yeah, to look to be fair to Everton, that Sandro deal was a very clever one, and that's that's exactly the kind of um, recruitment that you know Steve Walsh had been was uh, known for, and, and the reason they gave him such a big pay packet to come to Everton the uh, year before last, and that they knew that Sandro had a a lower release clause, and they managed to get in um, and on the table early in the window and, and secure that deal. So that that's exactly the kind of quality signing you want. What what's interesting to me is Sandro played against Chelsea at the weekend, had a terrible game, and yeah. suddenly they're um they're doing this. And it fits into dynamic that's been described to me, which is there are three power camps within Everton at the moment. Um and there are those three power camps are all looking at transfers separately, getting involved in deals, proposing players, and there's no real coherent strategy between them. And that's when you get things like this happening at football clubs. And you, they, you know, they are the first, and they will not be the last.
0: So You're I'm making you. them sound like Arsenal, Duncan. It's, it's <laughs> almost like I, 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 I did a double a, um, a, a, James Finlayson double take and Lauren Hardy there, and said, "Is that Arsenal he's talking about there?" Because the words were identical.
1: So, <laughs> in the spirit of the mystery which surrounds the uh, final day of this transfer window, I'd like to ask you both to give a, a fairly short comment no, no, on no. one of the most enigmatic uh, players stroke transfer stories of the window, and that is um, the man known as Ross Barkley. Do we, obviously he is injured at the moment, and that's hampering his ability to move in this window. However, do uh, you think, Duncan, that there's any chance of him picking up on the, uh, the merry-go-round that's seen a lot of interest in English players?
2: Look, there seems to be because uh, there there are bids coming in for the player rejected so far. There's sufficient amount of money in the in the market, and the type of um, clubs that are interested in taking them—Tottenham, Chelsea, potentially Arsenal—have cash, and uh, and at least two of those are going to do deals in the last couple of days. So, so you might get a situation where they offer enough money to Everton that they'll accept the bid and they get the chance to take a player who won't be able to pass a medical so they can take that risk on 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 Ross Barkley but as you say he's English and he's young and there have been times when he'd I think he's, he's managed to get onto that scale of the young English talent where he gets linked to Real Madrid um, in an effort to get him a, a move to to one of the top clubs so he's he, he's He's in that category that, the, that, the, top, that the, the better clubs in England say, right, this can be our homegrown player. He would be relatively cheap in terms of transfer fee because he only has a year left in his contract.
1: Well, from Barclay, I think we've got to go to our old friend, Mr Roy Keane, who this year, as I said, at the top of the show, implanted his own little seed of wisdom regarding the spending of this window, who had asked this week, what his own value would be worth in today's transfer uh, market uh, given the high prices paid. He said that Van Nistelrooy would be worth a billion, that David Beckham would be worth a billion, Paul Scholes worth a billion, and he himself, 3.75 <coughs> million that is, not billion. Which I think, if I'm not mistaken, was exactly the amount of money which Manchester United paid nothing for, for him many years ago. Um, in the spirit of uh, the great man, uh, Keane, I would like to ask first, Graham
0: Hunter, in this particular window, what would the great Willie Miller be worth? <laughs> well, if I had either 3.75 million or a billion and I could afford to use it, rather than buying any of those players that Keane mentioned, I'd, I'd pay that much to see Roy Keane, 23, back playing again because there are very few players since Willie Miller that I've enjoyed as much in terms of... Uh, Raw sporting aggression, leadership, intelligence. Um, Mikey Willie Miller uh, featured in the last time Duncan and I uh, chewed over the transfer market. And, and the sad thing is, just like, you know, um, no, listen, I won't make comparisons with what's happening over on the other side of the world. He, he'll inevitably start chuntering on about David. I, and I'm just, I'm not I'm not doing the Willie Miller, David Neary thing uh, because Willie lifted it I'm European. not going to either, you'd be glad to
1: know. No, Duncan, fact, it's done. No, I don't know, you're not <laughs> I'm going to ask Duncan, you, 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 how much, I want Duncan to tell me how much the great Maurizio Malpasio would have been worth <laughs> in today's market. <laughs> and remember, he did actually Look get that money transfer.
2: Oh dear. Let, let's, let's just be clear, Graham Hunter doesn't want to go to the, um, the David Neri-Willie Miller comparison because he knows he's on a loser there in the <laughs> current. No, that
1: wasn't the question, Duncan, you're avoiding the question. Back to Maurizio <laughs> Malpasso,
2: please. Uh, <laughs> Morris, Morris, the, the, the finest left-back in the history of Dundee United. Um, <laughs> left-backs, as a big demand Great, in left-backs. Great demanding indeed. <laughs> Great demand in left-backs at the moment. Um, not as good an attacker as, as, uh, as people like these days, but still, I think you could look at £50 million pounds in the current market for Morris Morris. That's what we like to hear.
1: Now, as Luke Shaw's just texted me back to say, if Dundee United need a lift back, we're <laughs> going to go to deal or no deal. Uh, and this is the quickfire round where I'm going to ask our guests, that's fairly self-explanatory, whether or not the player I say is going to go to that particular club. I'm going to start with you, Mr uh, Changing Man. Continue to Barcelona.
0: Uh, uh, deal.
1: Duncan, <laughs> Oxford chamberlain to Liverpool. Deal, Graham Sanchez to Manchester City. Deal, Duncan Lamar to Manchester United or to Liverpool.
2: Uh no deal if Liverpool get
0: no general. deal.
1: Graham, Diego Costa to Las Palmas, Atleti or Wraith
0: Rovers. <laughs> yeah, listen, you, you deal to Atleti, but maybe on loan to some Rovers bizarre club Oh, please, honestly doesn't. Oh, no, no, no. I would phone him up and say, oh, no, 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 my wee laddie.
1: People have been dancing the sand on the streets of Wraith expecting this deal to go through. You can't let them down now.
0: They've been doing that in Idaho as well. <laughs>
1: ah, very good. Duncan, will Danny drink water under Stamford Bridge?
2: It looks like he will, unfortunately, for Antonio Conte. Very good.
1: And this is a bit of a left-field one for, uh, for Graham.
0: Asensio to Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to grace that with an answer. I saw some Listen, no harm to the. Uh, I'm going to say it in code. Sunday Express. What the f- <laughs> is that supposed to be? Like, Laughing. I'll I'll, are considering paying the buyout clause? Yeah, Marco, essential.
1: Far I mean, be it for us to slag
0: off our journalistic unless, colleagues on the Sunday Express, of which we're doing. Yeah, no, it's unless somebody who okayed that story, uh, and the other one who wrote it was mistakenly ingesting industrial qualities of LSD. That, that, Marco Asensio is not only very close to being the most valuable player at <laughs> Madrid already, he doesn't want to go anywhere. He's dominating the team in terms of his goals, his performances, his assists. Zidane adores him. He was desperate to play there. Zidane was his hero. Is there anything else you need to know? I think you've said it all and more. No, uh, deal. Before we go, we invite Graham Hunter to to give us a few words on his magnificent Big Interview podcast. Um, It's been a joy to be on this podcast again. um, I do one of my own. If you want to become uh, a socio, if you want to listen to the Big Interview, it's at Patreon uh, forward slash Graham Hunter. Um, Enjoy it. Join us. Listen free. But the Big Interview is for anybody who loves football. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you very much to Graham and Duncan for joining
1: us and for the fascinating insight into the underworld of slippery deals and double deals, indeed, uh, that we have discussed in today's Transfer Window podcast. Uh, I'm Ian McGarry. We will speak soon. In fact, we hope to be with you uh, in a couple of days' time to analyze the biggest and best deals that went down on Transfer Deadline Day. And until then, we shall uh, say goodbye.
0: Adios, yes, muchachos.